Choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And there goes that familiar introduction that tells us it is time for another edition, the August edition of the Manx Sky at Night, looking to everything that is happening in space and in our dark skies for the month of September. And we welcome into the studio once again, Howard Parkin. Faster my, Howard. Faster my, Judith. Great to be here again. Welcome. Now, there is so much, so much for us to talk I know, about. We need a couple of hours, and I mind half an hour. Well, I am here till one o'clock, you know, well, so. You're on. We'll look we, stargazing after. We can negotiate. Absolutely. <laughs> now, Howard, this is the time of the year that I know that you enjoy because the skies Very much. are get, we're getting to the darker we nights, are aren't indeed. we? Indeed. That's the whole point. It is. A lot of people are saying, oh, aren't the nights drawing in? Well, yes, they are, of course. It's a fact. It's a fact of life. But. Of course, as they draw in, of course, we've got the equinox this this month. Uh, sorry, next month in September. And um, the nights are just getting longer and longer. Um, and, of course, we get the dark skies and we get to see all these wonderful features in the sky, which start off with our wonderful autumnal constellations we'll talk about later. And uh, as I know you mentioned earlier when we were talking about this, uh, I was away last week and uh, looking at the sky and the wonderful features of the autumn sky. And then you've got the promise of the winter stars coming along, which is so bright. So it's a great time of the year. And the astronomy year, we run the astronomy year unofficially, runs from September to about May time. After that, we clean our telescopes off and we look in the books and we work out what we're going to do and what equipment we want. But the, the astronomy year really does run from September onwards. Now, talking about travelling, let's let's get this very clear. You've been to Guernsey, haven't you? I went to Guernsey. We went on the Airbridge to Guernsey and we had a fabulous time. The weather was glorious. Uh, I really would recommend it to anybody. It really was great. The Guernsey people could not have been more friendly and so um, appreciative of the Isle of Man. Not just uh, us going there, but they enjoyed the people we spoke to. Love coming here. They thought our railways were fantastic. I mean, I don't you don't think of that when you live here, do you? But they loved our railways, and they they just loved the place. And it was just so nice. We went to the local church on the uh, last Sunday when we were there, and uh, this lady came up, the one who uh, was one of the the officials, you know, the the, the, the verger or something, and said, "Oh, are you visiting? Where are you from?" We said, "The Isle of Man." I said, "Oh, silly me," she says, "You're either from Guernsey or the Isle of Man. There's no one else here." <laughs> <laughs> but it really was wonderful and well, a great time. Wouldn't it be nice if out of adversity came some good, like a really strong link with Guernsey? I really hope so. I know the football teams, they've immediately challenged the Alleman back to another game. The walking football team were over there and when we were there. The cricket team, the rugby team. Even if they just did a festival every year of to and from the Isle of Man to Guernsey and vice versa. And this talk, I understand, of opening or keeping the air bridge open, at least on a seasonal basis. And I do hope they would, because I would go back. And I have got a vested interest in going back, which I'm sure we'll touch in a minute. Uh, but I just loved it. It was just nice to go away and uh, enjoy the place. And the only the only downside of it was having to wear the mask on the plane going and coming back. That was horrible. But that's a fact of life. If we well, hadn't had to do that, we wouldn't have been going to Guernsey, I suppose. Well, no, indeed. And the fact that it is a fact of life for so many people yes, across, exactly. isn't we are it, so all blessed. the time? We are so you know. blessed. And the, the curious thing was, uh, I know we're talking about astronomy, or will be, but uh, our hotel had three restaurants in it. Nice, beautiful, big hotel, three restaurants, only one open. 
One was open one night, one the next, one the next. They haven't got the staff. Just like here, on the external surface, everything's open, everything's normal. But underneath, they've got problems just like we've got problems with staffing and obviously getting the people here too open. They yeah. offered everybody in Guernsey the same as in the Isle of Man. Basically, mm-hmm. uh, do you want to stay? You can, or do you want to go home? But if you go home, you can't get back in and they can't get back to Guernsey anymore than they can mm-hmm. get back to the Isle of Man. Nobody has it completely easy. Everything no. everything requires a, an adjustment. It's all a, a, it a, delicate, a delicate balance. But we are, I think we are blessed over here and, and credit to the government, they made a great job of what we've done and uh, long may it continue. Well, it's just everybody just being as careful as we can possibly be. So if we're looking uh, back, and that, just to finish off, and I hope we will get a chance to talk mm-hmm. about this, you actually went to Sark, didn't you? I did you? indeed. I went to Sark because uh, as soon as I realised we were going to Guernsey and you could do a day trip to Sark, it was a must, not just for astronomy, but also because I wanted to see Sark because I've heard so much about it. So I went to Sark. So typically I got in touch with the Sark Astronomy Authorities, the Dark Skies Islands, <laughs> as they're known, yeah. and I had a guided tour of their observatory by the former minister, former chief minister of Sarka, his name was, a chap called Reg, lovely bloke. They showed me their observatory and they showed me what they've done. And, you know, it's great what they've done, but in comparison to what we've got on the island, they haven't got the facilities we've got. Their observatory takes about eight people, which is great. They can have guided tours of their observatory about eight at a time, whereas we in the Isle of Man here, of course, we've got a much bigger observatory, and I think that's a, an asset that maybe we should be using more and talking about more. This is true. I mean, that that one probably serves Sark. It's all on a much smaller scale there, isn't it? There's 500 people live there. Yeah, so so it's all relative, isn't it? But you're right, it does remind us what a good facility we've got here and and that's always a benefit to remind ourselves of the value of what we have. They are the world's first dark skies island. They're officially internationally acclaimed as the world's first dark skies island. I wish we had international status, but that's a a story for another day and another um, fight to talk about, I'm, I'm sure, another time. Well, let's concentrate on what we have got, which is the autumn equinox coming along yeah. this next month. The autumn equinox, for those who don't understand what we're talking about, when we talk about the autumnal equinox, this is when the sun crosses the celestial equator. What on earth is he talking about? The celestial equator is that part of the sky which is the Earth's horizon, sorry, the Earth's equator projected out onto the celestial sphere. If you, To be, make it easier to understand, if you're at the North Pole, the North Celestial Pole is directly overhead, your horizon is the Earth's equator. That's what happens. Well, the sun moves into the northern celestial sky in the, the, the from the March equinox through to the September equinox, and then, of course, it goes into the southern part of the sky, which is why it's so much lower in our sky, which is why we get the winter. And this happens at exactly 2.30 in the afternoon on um, uh, September the 22nd. So that's when it goes away, sorry, to disappear until we get right through to December when, of course, it gets as low as it can in the sky and then it'll start rising up again to March and then we'll have spring 2021. And aren't we all looking forward to that for a whole host of different reasons? But though this September, the nights will be the same length. Uh, The nights and the day will be the same length. Um, Equinox means equal day, equal night. So that's something to look forward to. And that's when we really start to get to town with the um, objects in the night sky. And speaking of that, what are the the main things that we're going to be able to see over the next week's HUD? Well, the autumnal constellations, which are always fainter than the stars of winter, but it breaks us in gently to the winter sky or the autumnal sky. Um, We've had the summer triangle, the bright stars, three bright stars of the summer, uh, very clearly visible, and they're still visible in the west. But you've got this wonderful square in the sky, the square of Pegasus, which is not difficult to spot if you just get your eyes attuned to the dark. And this is so important. 
I was talking to some. We were in Milltown today for the car festival. Wonderful. Then we had afternoon tea. Had a wonderful afternoon. And I was talking to someone. They said they've never seen the Milky Way. And I said, it's so easy, but you must get your eyes attuned to the dark. And I told the story about the top of Snaefell a few years ago in our Pie in the Sky event. And this lady came out, and I'll never forget it as long as I live. She said, oh, what a shame for that big cloud going right across the sky. And that was the Milky Way. And I saw it so clearly from my hotel balcony in in Guernsey, not because the sky is any clearer than the Isle of Man, but I was up at three o'clock in the morning on a balcony. It was so warm. And the Milky Way this time of the year stretches from the southwest horizon to the northeast horizon, and it is like a cloud in the sky. Just give your eyes 10 minutes or so to get used to it. Don't do it now. Don't do it this next week because we've got a full moon in a couple of days' time. We've got a full moon, which is incidentally the corn, the fruit, the barley, the ghost or the honeymoon. I looked it up before we came. There's so many names for the moon these days. Just as long as it isn't wimpy. That's next month. There's two next month, Judith. We don't like wimpy moons. We don't like wimpy moons. We don't like wimpy moons. No, we don't like wimpy moons. Officially a micro moon, I'd have you know. But I call it wimpy. Anyway, that's next month's topic. But no, don't look for the Milky Way when we've got the moon in the sky. Look for the Milky Way when the sky is dark. And give your eyes 10 minutes or so to look. And it goes right overhead through the constellations of Cassiopeia, uh, past Andromeda, through Gemini and so on. It really is great to see. And you will not see that from Liverpool, Manchester, uh, any big city. Uh, But you will see it from the Isle of Man because our skies are so clear because we've got so little in the way of light pollution. So let's make the most of it. Right now, it's also this is also a good month for planets, isn't it? One of the best months we've had for planets for a long time, Judith. It really is spectacular. The amount of people are saying to me, what's that bright star in the southern sky? That bright star, we can't miss it at the moment, is the planet Jupiter, uh, which we'll feature in a, in a moment's time. But Jupiter is very, very bright indeed. And not far from it, literally just to the left of it, is a fainter planet, which is Saturn. Now, these two are getting closer and closer together. And by the 21st of December... I know it's three months off or four months off. Those two will almost be touching. They're going to be that close. You'll have them in the same field of view of a pair of binoculars or a reasonable-sized telescope. It will be quite spectacular. But you're saying within our field of vision they'll be close. But in in terms of how... How far apart are they really? Exactly. It's like me looking at a streetlight outside Mike's radio studio and a streetlight on Onkland Head. Yeah. They might be, in my field of view, touching or very yeah. close to each other. Yes. But the reality is they are miles and miles, they're millions and millions of miles apart. Yeah. Funniest thing is I was just looking how close they're going to get in December and their angular distance is 0.25 of a degree, whatever that is. And someone has asked the question, could they collide? No, they can't collide because, you know, they're, they're massively far apart. It's our line of vision. It's a line of vision effect. Yeah, it's just an interesting effect. Yeah, we call it a planetary conjunction. Yes. And if you're interested, if you want to see the Jupiter for yourself, the Jupiter, Saturn and the Moon conjunction, because the Moon is just passing through that area of the sky, last um, Saturday night, it, no, Friday night it was next to Jupiter, um, Friday, Friday Jupiter, Saturday Saturn, and today it's moved away from Saturn. But they'll be in a sort of a line with the moon slightly below and Saturn above uh, to the right of the moon, and then Jupiter a little bit further away. But that's not all. Just to treat you even further, wait till about midnight and you'll see another very bright object coming up. That's the planet Mars. Now, we... Excuse me. We spoke about planet Mars last month because the three missions launched to Mars in July. and We'll be talking about that next February. Well, Mars is getting brighter and brighter until it gets to October the 13th, but it's going to be as bright as Jupiter. 
It will only be that bright for about a month or so and then it will rapidly fade. Because Mars is so close to us comparatively, to Jupiter especially, it will shine very, very bright indeed. And everybody spots already, everyone said, what's that orange or red star that's rising in the sky? Incidentally, it's in the constellation of Gemini, one of our winter constellations, which are rising around midnight time. And if you're not fed up by then, you've always got about five o'clock in the morning, not far from the eastern horizon, before the sun comes up, very, very bright indeed, the brightest of the lot. I talk about Jupiter being bright, I talk about Mars being bright, Venus outshines the lot. Venus is at its brightest we get for a long time because it's at its furthest distance from the sun in the morning sky, so we've got Venus. And, to go back to my trip to Guernsey, one morning I got up about five o'clock, I couldn't sleep, I was so warm, I had a lovely balcony in the hotel looking down at the sky, and I could spot Venus, I could spot Mars, and I could just spot Saturn and Jupiter setting in the west. That made four, but there was a fifth one I could see as well. Go on. I've done this before. Yeah, I know you have. Yeah. The one beneath my feet. Yes, Earth, that's right. Of yes. <laughs> <laughs> which which doesn't really count as a planet for us, does it? Well, well we I know it, it is. <laughs> there's there's another life force somewhere else saying you can see Earth in the sky tonight. Exactly. That would be a good thought, wouldn't it? It would be, wouldn't it? But uh, but you make it all sound like it's worth staying up it at is. three and four o'clock in the morning. You get a clear night. You can't beat it. I, I'm sorry. I, I am a, an astronomer who loves naked eye astronomy. Yes, I can use my telescope. I can look at Saturn's rings and Jupiter's moons and the Andromeda galaxy and all this sort of stuff. But I get such a buzz out of a clear sky and seeing them. And even now, I might know the sky quite well, but I'll look up and think, what's that constellation? I don't remember seeing that one. And then I'll work out it's Sagittarius mm. or it's a, a Delphinus, the dolphin or whatever. We've got dolphins, we've got hunters, we've got everything up there. But as I've said many, many times, and I'll say it again, just enjoy it. You don't have to know what you're looking at. Just enjoy it. And you know, Howard, I think it's the fact that that although you've got all the equipment for you to look at all of these things in great detail, it's the fact that you just love, as you're always telling us, going and sitting in a garden chair, yeah. getting accustomed to the dark. You, you're explaining something that all of us can do. Yeah, anybody. You do not need any books. You do not need to be a scientist or whatever. I actually got an email the other day from someone to say how much they enjoyed my talking about astronomy. You don't do it like the... Uh, in, in their words, the academic astronomers. Mm. I can do talks about gravitational waves and I can talk about quantum mechanics and all this sort of stuff, but it bores me like it probably bores the listeners. You'd need <laughs> to do the, the basic observations, the wow stuff, the things yeah. that make people excited to see. You know, I suppose, uh, dare I give an example of the TT? Seeing the bikes going around the course is absolutely fantastic. I am not a mechanic. I don't want to know what size engine they've got or what valves they've got or what fuel they're using and all the rest. I just enjoy the spectacle. And there are, there are the right people to do that in, in motorcycling and there are the right people to do that in astronomy. I would like to think I'm more of the um, passing on the information to people and let them decide whether they want to be astrophysicists, casual observers or even just planetary observers, or even photographers. I mean, we've got a whole range of new astronomers now, photographers, because you can take some wonderful night sky pictures with cameras, which 20, 30, 40 years ago, you needed huge telescopes to do. Mm. Now we've got some fantastic people taking images of the night sky. And uh, long may it continue, because the comet we had in July, I tried to take a picture, a load of rubbish, I have no chance. And yet other people have published these wonderful pictures of the comet we had in the sky in July. Yeah. And... They will live with me forever. The one in particular um, over the the, uh, the point of air, absolutely amazing picture. And that's what we can get. That is rare. We don't get comets very often. It's only the second decent one I've seen in my lifetime.
Yes, and but, and in fact, that one wasn't predicted. It was, not really, it was a no. big surprise. That was, the and that was what made it so special. It, it, that it came could, along and yeah. it's well, it hasn't gone. It's still there, but it's much, much fainter. You would need big telescopes to spot it now. But you never know what you're going to see. Shooting stars. And apologies, by the way, for the Persids. Lousy night. Didn't see. I think I saw two um, Howard, the night after. Look, Howard, you can't control the weather. And no, that's one thing no. I can't control. Though. Well, look, let's give you a moment to get your breath <laughs> to get your breath back Thank because you. I I knew you were going to be talking about the planets. I know this music is a particular favourite of yours. I've done you a little um, special sundown mega mix here, wow. just so that we could get your favourite bit of this piece of music. It is, of course, from the planet suite, Jupiter. Jupiter. That is such a beautiful it melody, is. isn't it? Absolutely amazing bit of music. It really is. From the Planet Suite by Gustav Hulse. And that was Jupiter. Now, have you said everything that you need to say about the skies in the weeks ahead before um, we start, before we take a trip to outer space? Apart from the fact that those who know the sky know that they can find the Andromeda galaxy. Now, I've made a point. I'm deliberately not going to talk about that much tonight, except to say it's clearly visible, naked eye, fuzzy patch in the sky if you know where to look now is the time of the year to look for it but we'll talk about that in a bit more detail next month because October will be even better um, but we've got so many other things to talk about but it would be remiss of me not to mention it and, and also the fact that Mercury is just about visible in the evening sky at the end of September but we've got another meet, we've got another session uh, on the 27th of September and that's right in the middle of that so you can actually see all of the naked eye planets this month if you try hard enough
Just going back to something you mentioned, Howard, you were talking about Venus. Was it not Venus that was so visible in the sky for such a long time? Mm. Our evening skies, yes. Yes, it was beautiful and it it was so strong. Well, it's just as good now in the morning skies. Uh, It doesn't stay in the morning sky. It's all to do with orbital mechanics. I won't bore you with the details. It doesn't stay in the morning sky as long uh, because of the situation. Uh, It'll eventually come back around to the evenings. But that star we saw so brilliantly right through last winter. You see, September onwards last year, it was visible from about September right through till August. So we got the, the observing season. We had Venus over Peel literally every single night. And then now, of course, it's in the morning sky where it will disappear relatively soon and then reappear in the evening sky. I think for something from like, um, I think next March onwards, I'll have to check that. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah, well worth looking. The same pattern that we've, we've experienced. We, we use a scale of brightness for astronomy called magnitude scale. And everyone thinks how bright Jupiter is, how bright uh, Mars is going to be. And the, the actual figure is minus 2.5 magnitude. And it's a logarithmic scale. Venus is minus 4.1. So it's, it's, it's dramatically brighter. Mm-hmm. So if you look up in the morning sky and you think it's Mars, it's got a reddish tinge. You wait, Venus, very white, very bright and um, unmistakable. Right, fine. OK, so from the planets, let's go into outer space now. Should we do that next? Yeah, why not? Right, OK. Now we've got a few topics to cover here. Um, and also, we must leave time for you to tell us about some courses that you're doing at the oh, University yes, please, College yeah. Alaman. Yeah, I'd start again in October, yeah. Right, and those are things that are open to everybody, are Yes, they? they're open to everybody. The course starts on the 7th of October. It runs for 12 weeks, spread out throughout the winter months, right through from October through till March, April time. Uh, just get in touch with UCM, tell them you'd like to come along. They are on Wednesday nights this year. I've moved them from Tuesdays to Wednesdays, and I hope to see uh, enough people there to obviously run the course. And um, I've done them now for a number of years, and that's what got me into talking about astronomy so much. And... Um, I just love doing it, so I hope if you're interested at all, get in touch with UCM and uh, they'd love to hear from you. Get in touch with the University College Alaman and you can get yourself signed up for that. Right, now we've got this uh, the issue of this um, da- uh, damaged uh, yeah. dish. Now tell us about this. Well, this is a great shame because one of the world's largest radio telescopes is the Arecibo radio telescope. There's a bigger one now in China, uh, but it's actually a caldera. It's actually a crater in the ground which they've put this telescope arrangement on top and it's amazing and I was very fortunate a few years ago to go to Puerto Rico where this observatory is and we visited it and it's an amazing place you may remember it from the film GoldenEye people who watched the James Bond film and Pierce Brosnan allegedly wouldn't come out of his caravan it was too hot for him so they had to do it in one take and it was very difficult because it was in the middle of the summer anyway that's by and by but unfortunately um, this massive telescope, huge massive dish, which is incidentally used for looking for extraterrestrial life, or has been, and looking for extrasolar planets and all this sort of stuff, um, had a catast- catastrophic failure the other day. A three-inch cable broke, and we don't know why it broke, and it landed on the dish, and it smashed a huge amount of the dish. There's a picture, if you look on the website, Arecibo Telescope uh, Damage, it really is horrendous. But what the big worry is, they can repair it, but why did the cable, which had another 15 or 20 years of life, suddenly just break the way it did? Yeah, I, I was having a look at this. And uh, and you're right, I've seen the photographs of it. However, the director of the observatory there, he was very keen to, to make the point that there are something like 40,000 plates that That's make right. up the whole of the thing. That's, 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 and so he said, so relative to that... 250 got broken, I think. I think so, but it, what he said was, relative to the size of it, this is only a small area of damage, although it does look very dramatic when yeah. you see the pictures. But, of course, the big concern is, why does something why? fail? You don't expect cables like that to break, do you? When it had another 
15 no, years Nobody was life. injured, thankfully. No, 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 um, and, that, and that was the important the, thing. The real sad thing is since I was there in 2017 and I saw it and it was an amazing sight, took Sandra with me and we had a great time, um, they then had that terrible hurricane which devastated Puerto Rico yeah. and then hit the United States as well, the one in the end of 2017. So they just, I wouldn't say just, but they got over that and then they had another problem with it and now they've got this. It's just like fate. It's just, and it's such an amazing um, piece of equipment when you look at it and uh, as I say, just watch Goldeneye and you'll see it for yourself. Well, do you know, that I, I was really interested to, to see that because I looked at the picture and I thought, hang on, this looks a bit familiar. And and then, of course, I read the small print and it says, because it was in another one, another film, uh, Contact. Yes, it was right. used Contact, in that. the Carl Sagan film. As, as well. But um, and you, when you see it, it looks so futuristic. You can, it does, it, yeah. It's a must for a, for a film backdrop, oh, if absolutely. nothing else. It's amazing. They run up and down the dish. They didn't actually do that, but, I believe. They did that at the studio, but of course. Sure, yes. I don't think what they could do. I don't CGI. think the observatory folk would, would really no, like them no, running no, around no, the dish, would no. they? But they they were very upbeat about it because, oh, as yes. you're right, they've had natural weather disasters and this kind of thing. And they're saying that it will be OK. You know, oh, they yeah, are... they'll fix it. I'm sure they will. And it'll be back up in action. It's too big not to be. Um, yeah. But it's just a shame that uh, it happened. And I saw it. I was devastated when I saw it. I thought I remember standing there looking, wow, look at this from now. Mm. It's in a bit of a mess. But uh, it's only... A tenth the size of the dish, and all these plates yeah. have just broken apart, but they're only, I suppose, cheap aluminium plates, basically, which give the reflective surface. Yeah, but I probably shouldn't say it's cheap, but uh, uh, certainly. No, I uh, think. <laughs> but uh, it's not as, it's, as you say, there's 40,000 plates, and they've lost 250 of them. Yeah, uh, so, so we just hope that they get it. They, but most, most importantly, find out why what, it happened. Exactly. Now, talking about why it happened, what's happened to our friend Beetlejuice? Well, Beetlejuice this time last year was shining beautifully, just rising into the autumn sky or early, late, early winter sky when it came up. And then it started dimming. And we actually thought at one stage this was a sign that Beetlejuice was going to go supernova, which it is predicted to do in the next probably 500 or 1,000 years. We don't know. But um, it got dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. Now, I mentioned my, um, magnitude scale before. It dropped by a full magnitude. Um, again, for those who know the stars, the star Aldebaran in Taurus the Bull is not as bright as Betelgeuse. Last winter it was. It was brighter than Betelgeuse. Something dramatic happened with Betelgeuse. And what we reckon now is a giant sunspot, or a giant spot on the surface of Betelgeuse that practically covered the surface of the star and made it dim dramatically. Now, a sunspot is still very, very hot. It's on the photosphere of the surface of the star or the sun we're looking at. But because the temperature is lower, it appears dark. And they think this sunspot, basically on the surface of uh, the photosphere of the star Betelgeuse, um, was so big that it almost covered the hemisphere that was facing us that particular time. I'm not sure about the exact characteristics. And it was that dimming. Uh, it was not anything to do with the, the characteristics of the star being a variable star. It was purely to do with the fact that this massive spot uh, erupted on the surface that got bigger and bigger and bigger and caused this dramatic dimming which went right through from about November till about March time before it recovered its brightness and now it's back up to normal again. Um, I'd like to say again I saw it when I was in um, Guernsey and I saw it there shining beautifully and with Mars not far away and I remember thinking to myself wow and then blow me the explanation appeared in the press a few days later so I thought it'd be appropriate to mention that tonight. Yeah, and because it is something that we we did talk about the supernova in mm, the last did. program, didn't we? Did, we? Yeah, about about did. you were explaining to us all all about that, and um, and now to our friend, we, it wouldn't be a program if we didn't mention the dragon. <laughs> Would it? Dragon. No, SpaceX no, no, dragon. No. One of my delayed, heroes at the delayed. moment. Now, Elon now Musk. this this is just exactly what I said would happen. 
the SpaceX been delayed until October. Yeah. Why has it been delayed? Because there's so much coming and going at the space station. Exactly. You're absolutely right. Well, she, she, you know, she's been working hard, this girl here. <laughs> she's been. I give her these subjects. We'll talk about this. And she's. I was going to say what you've just told us. It's nothing for once. It is nothing to do with the rocket not being ready or the astronauts not being ready. It's traffic management. They've got lights like we've got on the promenade halfway up to the ISS saying, sorry, stop. <laughs> I told you this would you, happen. You can't come. We're too busy. <laughs> And they've delayed it to the 23rd of October now, yeah. which is a shame. But uh, um, personally, I'm, I'm fascinated by this because I met the pilot of this spacecraft. He was on one of the ships I was on about two years ago, a chap called Victor Glover, known as Ike, lovely bloke. And he was dying to tell me when he was going to fly, but he couldn't because he was he had it was confined till August 2018 when they announced it. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so keen to hear him that he's going up into space. The first official um, mission to the ISS of a Dragon spacecraft. The last one was a demonstration. And, you know, I've probably mentioned this before, but the, the one that's just come back with Bob Benkin and Doug Hurley, who are respectively married to two astronauts, who are all in Nicole's group. Um, and all these astronauts, there's 10 of them um, that have been to the Isle of Man or are currently in the news, all part of the class of 1999, which is part of Nicole Stott's group. So it's a lovely Manx connection. I take them any way I can. You know that, Judith. Well, it's it, it's good that you do because it is lovely <laughs> to keep those connections. And uh, what I think is really nice about this this one that's going to go up in the end of October, as you say, and about the 23rd, is as long, along with your, your, your man, um, there's Mike Hopkins and Victor Glover, Shannon Walker, and a Japanese. And a Japanese astronaut, yeah. Now, isn't this the way forward to do as much sharing oh, as absolutely. we can? Oh, absolutely. It's not the first time there's been oh, no, Japanese no, astronauts no. before, but the the um, International Space Station is exactly that. It is an international project, and there's been Canadians. We've all seen the Canadian who did the singing up there, whose name I've totally forgotten, <laughs> just for a minute. Um, but we've had, every, I mean, our own US, uh, UK astronaut, of course, he went up there, and uh, but this, to actually put a Japanese astronaut um, from JAXA, J-A-X-A is the mm-hmm. um, Japanese equivalent of uh, NASA, and uh, he's going up there on the spacecraft, and um, he'll be at the Dragon before long. And Howard, the clock tells me we're out. It is the dot of ten o'clock. It is indeed, and we and haven't is, finished, have we? We have We'll have to. I, I actually feel as though we've barely scratched the surface, as we always do. Howard Parkin, it is always a pleasure to talk to you, and we look forward to welcoming you back into the studio on the final Sunday in the month of September. Howard I Parkin. I look forward to myself. Thank you, Judith. Thank you very much. Good night. Sweet.